0: Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Grace, for helping us in worship and song and music this morning. We are continuing in our, our study through the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 14. Uh, chapter 13 begins the, the upper room discourse, the time of our Lord being with the uh, disciples on the Last Supper. The next day, that t- the night of the, that night, he will be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He will face trials, uh, unjust and illegal trials, eventually taken to the cross, and though recognized as innocent by the governor, executed to die for our sin. But we are then in these last hours with his disciples in the upper room discourse when he's teaching and talking with his disciples. We're in chapter 14, and uh, our text this Lord's Day is verses 7 through 11. But to lay the context, I'm going to go back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How could we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. the words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me he does the works believe me that I am in the father and the father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves we begin in verse 7 when Jesus is clarifying he's, 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 he's made these incredibly powerful statements in those first six verses you know that, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so he's been saying, he's going away. That's the point. He's preparing them for his departure. And he says, you know the way. And they say, how can we know the way when we don't know the destination? Because you know me. I am the way. I am the truth. The issue is our relationship to Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And so he's saying, "It's it, it, I am the way to heaven. Knowing me is knowing the way to heaven. But he goes further and says, and to know me is to know God. He expands on that thought then that, that the, the, the only way to God is through him. He now emphasizes that He is the only way to know God and to see God. Now again, you know, think about the statement he makes here. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. He makes incredible statements there and throughout this passage. That only, but no one else could say. I am the way to God. If you've known me, you've known my Father. I could never tell you that. If you know me, you know God. No. If I, told you, again, if I told you that, you would think something is terribly wrong. How would you dare say that, you might say to me? Jesus can say it because he is God. And so to know him is to know the Father. But again, he makes these bold statements. And you can think of anyone the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, John the Baptist, who Jesus said was, was the greatest of prophets, Moses, Abraham, no one like that could say, if you know me, you've known my father also. Because no one else was God in the flesh. And that's the uniqueness of Jesus. He's not simply a teacher, a rabbi, a good example he is God who has taken upon himself humanity. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. So the things he says are, are, are unique and challenging. And he goes on in, in, in verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. So in verse seven, what's he say? If you'd known me, you've known the Father. Now on from now on you've known him and seen him and so so philip uh and we see some interesting interactions that you don't see in the rest of the the gospels like this or the rest of the gospel of john where they're asking questions and and trying to understand this must have gone on for three years but here it reaches a a pinnacle you know thomas we don't know where we're going show us the way now philip's saying lord show us the father and it's sufficient for us because Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he says, show us the Father. In one sense, that seems like a, a statement of confidence and faith in Jesus. Again, you wouldn't ask me, show us the Father. I, you know I couldn't do that. But, but the idea that, that Jesus could, there, that's, a, you know, that's kind of a, a compliment to him, if you will. The problem is, the Bible tells us, no one has seen God. We saw that back in John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in heaven, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 33 verse 20, there's a, there's a statement of a similar nature. Exodus thirty three twenty. 20. he said you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live that was God speaking to Moses no man can see God and live God is so much greater so much different so much holy than we are to see him to be fatal but but Philip says if you just show us the father that's that'll be enough So, again, a compliment to Jesus. What's he he asking for? No one can see God as he is. That's kind of like saying, um, show me electricity. Uh, We can't quite see it. Um, Show me oxygen. Show me God... I think what he's asking for is what we call a theophany, some kind of an appearance of God. Show us his glory. Uh, remember, Moses saw God's glory on Mount Sinai. You know, God had to, remember, he had to he put him in a cleft of the rock, covered him with his hand, and said, you can see the, the after effects of my glory. The uh, In Exodus chapter 24, Moses was able to show the leadership of Israel the elders of Israel they, they were given a, a, a theophany they were allowed to see something of God's glory I'm thinking of Exodus chapter 24 verses 9 and 10 Moses went up also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet as it were a, a paved work of sapphire stone and it was like the very heavens in its clarity they saw his glory seeing him as he is can't be done that's fatal but they were given a glimmer and appearance like I said we call it a theophany a God of manifestation so I think Philip is saying just, just do what, they, what Moses did on Mount Sinai show us the glory of God maybe in an image like Isaiah saw when he saw the, 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 the vision of God in the temple just you know that's all I'm asking just, just show us God and, and I like how he says, that will be enough for us. I wonder if any of you are thinking of our Passover Seder. Remember we sing a song, we, that's our, we sing a, a Hebrew song together. Di, di, That word Daenu is is the Hebrew expression, it's enough for us. And there's, I think there's 18 stanzas in the song. And all through it, Lord, if you, just, if you just delivered us from Egypt, that would have been enough. If you'd just done the miracles, the plagues, that would have been enough. If you'd, if you'd given us the law, that would have been enough. If you divided the Red Sea, that would have been enough. It's interesting. Uh, this sounds so much, if you just show us God, that would be enough for us. I thought about that song. It sounded like it. And so I, Actually, I looked in the Hebrew New Testament. So the, the new, they've translated the Greek New Testament into Hebrew, like we've translated it into English. And it uses the word die. <laughs> it would be enough. That's the Hebrew word. It's enough for us. That seems like a modest. All we have to, All you have to do is show us God and then we'll be satisfied. Oh, Philip, what are you thinking? But he, but he, again, it shows us. He, he has a... He, he, He recognizes how Christ can do amazing things that he could show them God, and he says, "If we could only see God's glory as Moses did, we would be satisfied." So they're struggling as Jesus is talking. I'm going away. Um, You'll follow later. You can't follow me right now. Jesus, what are you talking about? Where are you going? Why are you going? And so Philip says, "Well, if you just show us, just show us God, that will be enough. We'll, we'll be settled to, to trust while you leave." I think that's what he's saying. If you just show us this, we'll be satisfied. When I when I hear that, it it. it it reminds me that sometimes we'll struggle with that. God, if you'll just give me a sign, then I'll be, I'll be satisfied. And so some people will say, you know, if, if God exists, then show me a sign and I'll believe in him. When I think of that, I think of remember the story of the, the Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus was the poor beggar who died, and the rich man eventually died. Lazarus was a faithful follower of the Lord. The rich man was a, a, a not, he was a wicked man. Luke tells this, uh, or in Luke chapter 16, the Lord's telling this account. And it says, the rich man in heaven said to, to Abraham in, in heaven, he said, I beg you therefore, Father Abraham, that you would send Lazarus the poor beggar to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. The point being, uh, what, what he was saying is, if, if you send Lazarus, raise him up from the dead, send him back to preach the gospel to my brothers, um, then maybe they, won't, they will believe and not end up in torment as I am. And Abraham says, let them read their Bible. That should be enough. That is enough. And if they won't believe Moses in the, in the scriptures, they won't believe the miracle of a man coming back from the dead. And that was true. When Jesus died and came back from the grave, many would still wouldn't believe. They denied, denied, denied. Most wouldn't. But here's the point. is A lot of times people say, well, God, if God will just do something big, then maybe I'll believe in him. If God will just show me something, uh, do something dramatic in my life, then I'll obey him. I'll follow him. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll take his course as laid out before me. So Philip, I think, is kind of trying to set the terms for Jesus. Let us see God's glory, and then we'll be satisfied. Jesus' response is, is kind of a It's a rebuke, I think. Maybe gentle, but he still challenges him. In verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? If by now, the disciples have been with Jesus for about three years, Philip was one of the first to follow Jesus. I remember when when Philip was, was, uh, uh, when he came to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, remember he went and found Nathanael and said, we found the Messiah. And Nathanael wasn't convinced. Who is it? It's Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth? Jesus of Nazareth? That's the Messiah? I thought, what did uh, Philip say? Verse, John 146 records this. In John 146, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. Come and see Jesus, and you'll know he's the Messiah. And now, three years later, Jesus, what does he say to Philip? Philip, have you been looking at me for three years? You're asking me to show you the Father. Don't you realize yet who I am? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, Philip had told Nathaniel, all you got to do is see Jesus and you'll know he's the Messiah. And now Jesus is saying is, all you got to do is see me and you'll know who my Father is. You'll have seen him. Jesus is god And we use the word incarnate. That's a fancy word coming from Latin. You can kind of hear it. In means uh, in. You can write that down. In. Uh, Carnate, and you think of carne, meat, flesh, in flesh. God in the flesh. God who has taken upon himself humanity. Jesus didn't stop being God. But he added he veiled in flesh. He took humanity on him. So he has two natures now. He is, he is God and man. But, but as God, he and the Father are one. And again, you know, we're talking here challenging concepts to which should be challenging. If we could fully understand the nature of God, some have said then he wouldn't be God any longer. That, to understand God's being, you know, frankly, to understand. Humanity, understand any life, is is a hard concept to grasp. But here we're being told that uh, I and the Father are one. He talks about I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But notice he never says, I am the Father so he's always drawing a distinction between himself and the father and yet saying they are one that's the mystery of the nature of god the bible tells us there's only one god but he exists eternally in three persons god the father god the son and god the holy spirit we say they are they're one in essence one in being three in persons And that's illustrated in the very first verse of this gospel, the gospel of John. When John begins by saying, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And just that one phrase jars us. How can you be with what you are? And that's the, the mystery of understanding the very nature of God. As I say that, you know, we, we have a hard time understanding the nature of God. I remember my very first biology class. And again, if you break apart the word, ology means the study of, bio is life. So here was a class by a person with a graduate degree in the study of life. And in the first lecture, he said, we don't know what life is. We can't divine it. We can, see, we can tell where it is and where it isn't often, but especially this was a cellular biology class, and he says, we don't know what life is. And I thought, this is crazy. I'm here sitting and paying good money in tuition for a guy who is in a, in a course that's the study of life, and he begins by saying, we don't even know what it is. Well, if we can't define life, then we can have even less chance of fully comprehending the giver of life. We can believe what the Bible... God's revealed himself to us. He, he tells us about himself in the scriptures. But how can the finite comprehend the infinite? How can the creature comprehend the creator? And So in other words, I'm just saying it's a hard concept to understand the Trinity and yet it's God reveals himself in that way to us. He says, that's who I am. Father, Son, Son holy spirit. And so that's what's going on here when he says, "He who has seen me has seen the Father." They're one and distinct. So to Philip he's saying, "You've been with me all this time. For 3 years you've been with me. And you're saying, "Show you the Father?" He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "Show us the Father?" And so he's, he's, he's emphasizing, look at all you've seen in my life, in my ministry. How can you say, show us God? What have I been doing for three years? To know me is to know God, is what he's saying. And when we see him, we will know who he is. History tells us of two men, Brennan, both brilliant, scholars. Um, they were in a discussion about Jesus Christ. Neither believed in God. They didn't see Christ as God in the flesh. But one of them suggested to the other, you know it would be an interesting story to take the story of Jesus and and, and turn it into a novel or something. And and, I'll, and I bet that would be a fascinating subject: a tale of Christ. Well, one of them took the hint of the other and he said, "I think I'll do that." And he, so he started researching and writing a story with Christ as, you know, around Christ. That study and writing of the book about Jesus changed the atheist. He read and read, he thought and thought, and one day there burst from his lips and heart the confession of the Roman captain. I'm reading an account of it. Who cried out on Calvary, remember? Truly, this is the Son of God. So this man who started denying Christ and thought he would just write an interesting story, but the more he got to know him by studying and studying, he finally realized, truly, this is the Christ. So he went on and finished his book. He gave it the title, Ben-Hur, a tale of the Christ, and his name is Lou Wallace. He spent time, the more he spent time looking at Christ in history, he couldn't escape the reality. This is God in the flesh. What what he had denied and mocked as an unbeliever when he spent time in the study of history of, of, of Christ brought him to a saving faith. Well, if that's true of a man writing a novel, how much more Philip, who was at the side of Jesus for three years? How many meals had they shared around the table? How many miles had they walked crisscrossing the land of Israel? How many miracles had he seen? How many miracles had, had, had Philip done on behalf of Jesus? And so Jesus says, to him, Philip, you've seen me for so much time. How can you ask me to show you what I have been showing you for three years? Maybe some of you have been involved in teaching and you've tried to explain something. And, and you've, you've laid it out. It might be a simple thing like you're trying to explain to someone how, how to fix a little thing. And you, and you, and you put it out there perfectly. Or maybe you've taught a whole semester and you've tried to teach a concept. And at the end of the course, they say, could you please explain that again? And Jesus says to him, how can you ask me to show you the Father? What have I been doing? A couple other quotes, if I may. One, a man who could read the New Testament and not see that Christ claims to be more than a man can look all over the sky at high noon on a cloudless day and not see the sun. If you read the New Testament with open eyes, you will not miss that reality. A couple of quotes from A.W. Tozer, a great preacher of the past. Christ is God acting like God in the lowly raiments of human flesh. He went on to say, "When Jesus walked on earth, he was a man acting like God, but equally wonderful is it that he also was also God acting like himself in the man, in man, and in a man. So here's the point: you want me to show you God, I am God. you know a few chapters earlier, we saw how and Philip was there when when the Jews were attacking Jesus. And remember, he made those remarks before Abraham was, I am. He is the eternal God. Philip, where have you been? I do take comfort from that as a teacher, don't you? If the master teacher can spend three years and they still don't get it. Verses 9 and 10, he goes on verse 9 verse uh, nine, or verse 10 do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me the words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does the works so he's trying to help him see I am I, I am God and notice he says uh, I am in the Father and the Father in me they are one and distinct there are one god but there is the son and there is the father and so he, he emphasizes what have i been telling you all along these are not my words these are the words the father gave me to speak i speak on behalf of the father and so he asks him do you not believe that i'm in the father and the father in me don't you get it don't you believe it Now, he told them this already in John chapter 10, verse 30. He said, I and my Father are one. In chapter chapter 10, verse 38, um, he said, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And so he says, the words I speak, I don't speak of my own authority. The Father who dwells in me does the works. The words and works of Christ show God, reveal God, display God. And so he goes on to verse 11. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now, up to this point, verse two, through verse 7 to 10, he has been um, speaking to Philip. Philip asked the question Philip, have you been with me? Have you not seen? Do you not believe? Now in verse 11, and again, it doesn't come across in the English, fortunately, in the Greek. You can distinguish between plural and singular. In verse 11, when he says, believe me, he now speaks to them all. So again, this might be the teacher answering a specific question. And then he brings it to them all. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So he's now he he wants them all to... Philip is saying what they're all thinking. You've been in a situation where you can't figure out what's going on. Someone asks the question, you're thinking, thank you. Because I'd like to hear the answer to that. I don't get it. So the others are all listening to what he's saying to Philip. And they're not saying, oh, Philip, come on, you're so dumb. We all know this. They're saying, okay, yes, help us understand. And so Jesus speaks to them all and says... Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works. They've heard his teaching. They've heard his his explanations. And they're still not getting it. There's only one God, and Jesus is the true God as is his Father. And so they are one. He is one with the Father, and the Father's in him. And then he says, well, if these words are not going to explain and convince you, he said, then look at the works. Look, look at what I've done. And he could, he could walk them through. Think back over three years. The first miracle, turning water into wine. Think then, too, about all the, the healings, all the sick that have been healed. Think of the diseases that were been born blind, born lame, leprosy death now you might think back over the Old Testament and think well wait a minute there were some miracles like that You know, Elijah Elisha did some amazing things uh, Moses you know he had those signs God gave him but those tended to be singular didn't they one person healed one person brought back to life Jesus went from village to village and, and disease disappeared they brought everyone sick to him and everyone went away healed he raised the dead more than once he, he could cast out leprosy and he could cast out demons he could command demons remember when the one comes to him and, and he said what's your name again we always say when, when God asks a question he doesn't need information he was asking he, he wanted for the benefit of the audience my name is Legion because there are so many of us here And Jesus cast them out. Jesus had authority over demons, power over disease, power over death. And can and so some of the there have been occasions a, a miracle here, a miracle there in the Old Testament. This has been a pattern for three years. And then there was the time when Jesus walked on water. How do you explain that one, fellas? actually I think I've shared with you I read an article where someone postulated a theory when Jesus was walking on water it was an especially cold season in Galilee and he, and he was walking on the ice I, I don't think that would have fooled the disciples he walked on water and remember too when he, he, could, he could say to a storm hush be still and it could be instantly silenced who does that? The Bible says that God is sovereign over the storm. What, what was the response of Peter to Jesus when he saw such things? Depart from me, for I am a sinner. That's like Isaiah in the presence of the Lord. Philip, disciples, because he's now he's saying, you know, believe me, if you don't believe what I'm explaining to you, you believe what you saw, God working in and through me. Do they believe him? I think they do. Do they fully grasp what he's saying? I think they don't. And the reason I can say that is if they fully comprehend that he is in God, that he is God, one thing we know about God is he's in control. In just a couple of hours, when the Roman soldiers come to seize him and he allows himself to be arrested, What do his disciples do? They run. A little after that, Peter is denying that he even knows Jesus. When he's taken to the cross and crucified, they they stay away lest they be identified with him. And when when, when the women come and say, we've seen Christ risen from the dead, oh, poor girls. The heat, the stress has gotten to them they believe him but they don't fully grasp resurrection would not be hard to believe if you know he's God we can know a truth and yet not fully grasp it in our life I think now I've been picking on these disciples Philip and the others but aren't we like them in so many ways we've had a lot of exposure to God's word and sound teaching we're careful about that at Terrell Bible Church I'm not up here um, telling you my theories my fantasies my imaginations I'm not you know or, or you know I'm not exegeting the most recent film out of Hollywood I'm telling you what God's word says and I am submitting to God's word as I'm saying it to you, It's not my ideas, this is what the text says, and, and you can check it. So we, we, we have a tremendous knowledge of God's word. Has it really taken hold of us? Are these ideas that we can affirm, but are we, have, have, have these truths grabbed us? And if we grab these truths, do these truths really saturate our life so, so what we say and what we do... It is a manifestation that the, these bedrock truths are our bedrock. And so I, I, think, I think the Lord's challenging these guys. Come on. You know these truths. Live these truths. And I think the Lord would say that to us as well. From this too, we can see the better we know Christ the better we know the Father. How do we do that? How do I get to know Christ better? Here. In the book. In the Bible. In his life, in his words, in his deeds, in his actions. He is reflecting for us the very character of God. And so when I look at the life and the ministry and the death and and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, I see God in his grace and mercy. How astonishing the eternal, immortal, invincible God would become a dependent little baby. And would put himself in the place where he had to learn the alphabet like you and I do. The one who had to be taught scriptures though he wrote them. What grace? The laying aside of his glory to be a humble servant. The heart of compassion. Does God love me? Again, Paul so clearly says in Romans 5 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see God's justice. He couldn't just sweep sin under the rug, he had to deal with it. And he dealt with it by putting it on his son to pay the penalty for our guilt. That he might put on us the righteousness of Christ. In Christ, in his, in, as he is revealed in Scripture, we see who God is. We see his heart. We see his power. We see his wisdom. We see his love and his grace and his mercy. And so I think, as he could say to Philip, he could say to us, Have you, have you been so long with me? Have you been so long in the Word? still don't have a full grasp if we want to know God better study God in his word see him as he's revealed in his word do we ever get a full grasp of that on this side of of heaven I don't think so and honestly you know some people say we'll know everything when we get to heaven that's not in the Bible There's only one being who knows everything, who is omniscient, and that's God. The angels themselves do not have omniscience. They don't know everything. And so, for eternity, we will be learning and marveling at the richness of God's character and His being, but it begins now and through Christ. How can I know God? Through Christ. And that's what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Because the Father's in him. And so if you have yet to come to know Christ as your Savior, then you are separated from God. But hear the words of Christ. Come to him, trust in him, follow him. Bring to him your guilt and receive from him forgiveness and life. Know Christ as Savior. For those of us who know Christ as Savior, may we continue to grow in knowing him, loving him, worshiping him. That's a lifetime pursuit. May God give us grace for the the road. Father, we thank you for revealing to us the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and grace and showing us yourself in him. Lord, I pray each one here would know him as Savior. Father, I pray that we might be growing in our walk. Father, may we never be satisfied. Stir in us a hunger and thirst to know you better each day. And this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. At this time, we come to the Lord's table. This is a time when we we remember the Lord. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And when we take the bread, we remember the, 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 the body that was crucified on the cross. When we take the cup, we're reminded of the shedding of blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no...